0: Amen. The songwriter takes us through the seasons of life. And he said we get through each of them by the grace of God. But then he comes to verse verse 4 and he says, When we've been there 10,000 years, our light will not have dimmed one little bit. In this life down here, We are a fading glory. We begin with the brilliance and the beauty of a baby and we grow old. But the scripture said when we've been there 10,000 years, it'll be just like the day we arrived. We'll be just as fresh. We'll be just as bright. We'll be just as vibrant. We will not have become weary one iota. Hmm. The praise that we enter heaven with will still be going on through eternity. And we will not have wearied in the least. I'm looking forward to heaven. Amen. Amen. Don't you want to go to that land? Amen. Amen. Seasons of life. We like to... We like the glory days, and we like the wonderful days, but there are seasons of famine that come in the life of a child of God. Seasons when there seems to be nothing. The season of Job's life that, that we all seem to want to turn to and somehow draw some strength from it and maybe some consolation for our famine when he could not feel God or find God. I would call that a famine. I would call that a spiritual famine in his life. The scripture talks about Elisha the Tishbite who was of the inhabitants of Gilead He said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook of Cherith there before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and dwelt by the book of Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Elijah Called for a famine to get a nation to repent, but he was not exempt from the famine. We all smiled or we cried this week or last week, whenever it was that we had a government shutdown, because those that called for a famine were not affected by it, their pay went right on. But it wasn't the case with Elisha, the Tishbite. When he said, it's not going to rain, he was affected by the drought. When the crops dried up, he was affected by the lack of food. He spoke for a famine, but he experienced the famine. September of 1944, the people of the Netherlands experienced a famine. That's infamously called the Dutch Hunger Winter. It was near the end of World War II and the German forces had cut off the food supply to that heavily populated part of the Netherlands. Four and a half million people were affected by it. 18 to 22,000 people died as a result of malnutrition. Not only were they affected, but others were affected as they grew older because of the malnutrition they experienced as a child. Matter of fact, it's said that Audrey Hepburn, that famous actor that was affected later because of the malnutrition she experienced during that time. Famine is, even for a season, can change your life forever. But any lack or loss can have an impact, sometimes an irreparable impact on a life. The scripture said in Matthew 5 and 45 that God makes his son, to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. So loss in life or lack in life is something that we all experience. We may not know of starvation from food, but there are other kinds of famine and loss in our life. You could have gone through such a time of financial struggle where it was a famine in your life. Losing a loved one can bring a famine of time in your life where you seem to deal with a, an unending grief that you struggle through. So we know that there are various kinds of famine. I'm glad they do not last forever. And I'm thankful that God has a plan In it all, we find in our times of lack and our times of famine that we find a God that in the Old Testament was referred to as Jehovah-Jireh, the one that has always seen the need and always provides in the time of need. Now, according to some of us, we think that he's late. Sometimes we think he's not hearing us, but he hears every prayer. He always answers right on time. The question is, what do we learn in the famine? What do we glean from the famine? What happens? Jacob, he was a planner, sure, but there was something about Jacob that he had a passion for God. He had a hunger for God. He had his faults, but his hunger and his passion for God surpassed even his faults. But even when Jacob had received that promise of blessing, he was about to experience famine in his life because he sees a beautiful woman. He says, I think I'll marry her. And her dad said, it's going to cost you. And he said, how much? He said, seven years. And so he worked for seven years and then got deceived. The deceiver got deceived. (laughs) And so he ended up marrying her sister, who was not very pretty. And so he said, wait a minute, this was a bad deal. This wasn't what I agreed on. He said, but, you know... He said, if you'll just work for me seven years more, I'll give you her sister. And so it was seven more years. And then he found that his wages was continually changed. And if it had not been for the Lord, Jacob said, he would have literally been robbed by his father-in-law. Jacob experienced famine. Then we find that the children of Israel were brought into the land of Egypt. But how did they get there? They got there because of a famine. There was a famine in the land, and it was in the famine that God was able to do for Joseph what he could have never done for him ever otherwise. Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, became the prime minister of Egypt. He had dreamed a dream that God was going to use him and he would be a blessing and his brethren would all be in subservience to him. And because of his dreams, his brothers hated him and sold him. Jacob went, Joseph went from being the favored son in the house with a coat of many colors To being sold into slavery. He got into Potiphar's house and was elevated and then put in prison because he was lied on. He was put in prison and then he was elevated in prison and then he was forgotten after he had given the, revealed the dream of a man who said, i really appreciate it. And Joseph said, if you would just remember me when you get out of here. After a period of time, the king, the Pharaoh dreamed a dream and the butler finally remembered that there was a guy by the name of Joseph that had interpreted his dreams. And so Joseph was brought out of the prison and elevated to second in command of the whole nation of Egypt. But it would never have happened without a famine in his life. Those difficult moments that you are going through right now, we tend to want to look over at our neighbor and see where they are in their season. And if we're not careful, we can become envious of our neighbor. Because they're in a season of blessing. We're in a season of famine. We just need to leave that stuff alone. God knows what he's doing. God has a time for everything. You say, well, you know, it seems like they get everything they want, everything they pray for. It just happens. I've heard them testify It seems like when I pray, it's not happening. It's a season. The scripture said, Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So, whether it's loss or lack, we do not need our commitment to change. We walk in relationship with God, regardless of what's going on around us. He is faithful. He just wants us to be faithful. Isn't it easy to be faithful when you're on the blessing side? But oh, the scripture teaches us that we are faithful in the difficult times. It's in those difficult times that we are measured. Job means so much to us because he remained faithful. His wife said, are you going to still maintain your integrity? All of this is happening and you mean you're still going to retain your integrity? Joseph told his brethren, you thought evil against me. But God meant it to good, to bring it to pass as it is today, to save much people alive. God has a plan. So we can't let our feelings during the famine override our confidence in Christ. Tell you what those difficult times do. Famine brings great clarity to our pursuit of God's purpose. It has a way of weeding out the stuff that doesn't need to be there. It has a way of getting us in focus with the real thing. I like the way this writer said it. Without a season of famine, we become overweight with the carnal and the temporal. You don't see any fat people in famines. <laughs> Spiritually, we all deal with carnality. And it's those difficult times that trim the carnality out of our life. Or it should. Famine clears the table and the mind that we might seek the Lord as the only one that can satisfy our soul. Famine equips us, empowers us to seize upon the next season of satisfaction that God has prepared for those who trust in Him, Elijah, the Tishbite. His name means Yahweh, Jehovah is my God. Elijah was—he felt like he was all alone. At the end of it, he he tells God, I, "I'm the only one." And God said, "No, I got some more." <laughs> Isn't it amazing how God let him feel alone? when he had 7,000 more besides him. You ever wonder how that happened? Why he didn't know that? Why why did he just feel so alone? Why did he feel like he was the only one standing up for truth? You ever been there? I, I thought about my my. Ch- My childhood experience. At times when I I stood up for what I believed in school. And nobody stood up with me. And I thought, well, I I must be the only one that really believes this. I've come to learn that there were others. (laughs) They just handled it different than I did. Elijah stood up, he called for a famine. It didn't rain for three years and six months. God sent him to a brook that dried up. From there he sent him to a widow woman that fed him miraculously and sustained her and her son as well throughout that famine. God is going to get you through your famine. And God has something in the process that he wants to accomplish in your life. When we come through our seasons, we find ourselves coming out of a season of famine to find ourselves in a season of blessing a season of blessing first kings chapter 2 and verse 45 king solomon shall be blessed and the throne of david shall be established before the lord forever luke 12 and 31 and 32 But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Fear not, little flock, it is the Father's good pleasure. Everybody say, it's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Heard a wonderful, wonderful message this week by... Brother Mike Williams, when he talked about how God wants to bless us. He spent about 35, 40 minutes just continually giving us the scriptures that God has an intention and God has a desire to bless us. He wants to do that. He has a plan to do that. But why does he want to do all that? Oh, we, we, can, we can sometimes say, well, I'm just not worthy. You know what? I can't live without his blessings. I need his blessings. I want his blessings. I'm not worthy of nothing. But he promised them to me. I'm his child. You're his child. Yeah, we, we can... We can Get beat up by the devil. We can beat up ourselves. But we need to understand that God has a plan. And one of the seasons in life is a season of blessing. We, some of us, grew up thinking about the Rockefellers as the epitome of riches. John David Rockefeller American industrialists and philanthropists. He rose in stature and success in the 1890s, early 1900s. He helped to build Standard Oil Company, which became the wealthiest company in the world. That made him the wealthiest man in the world during his lifetime. Standard Oil was eventually split into several companies due to unrivaled success, there was Exxon and Mobil and Amco and Chevron. And they're still listed in the top 50 companies worldwide. Rockefeller is considered one of the wealthiest people in the world that ever lived. Many were critical of his wealth, even some of his business practices. But it should be noted that John D. Rockefeller left a lasting legacy In American industry, his generosity toward others even rivaled his business successes. He always tied to his local church, and his wealth increased. His philanthropy to major causes also expanded exponentially. His various foundations invested an estimated $550 million to advance the fields of religion, education, health, science, and the arts. He was once asked, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little more. It wasn't that he needed more for himself. He strongly believed that his mission was to make as much money as possible and then use every resource to benefit humanity. History is filled with the testimony of men who used their talents, and at times and others, to amass wealth for their own conceit and wealth. Occasionally, we read about them. But men such as John D. Rockefeller marched to a different beat, a different drum, for he felt like God had blessed him. And he was indeed privileged to be a blessing as well. Luke chapter 12 and verse 15 said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. So, what is your answer to how much money is enough? Unknowingly, the men around the table this morning at coffee began to talk about men that had accomplished gathering wealth to themselves, just working men that maybe through wise investments, maybe through windfalls, or whatever the case might be, had become millionaires in our life, men our age, men co workers. It was remarked how one man who was so frugal that when he wanted to wash his car he wouldn't crank it but he pushed it out of the garage. So he wouldn't burn any gas to get it out of the garage. Another man will not turn on his central unit in his house but he dresses in his hunting clothes his, 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 all his insulated clothes and he sits in his house that way so he doesn't use any of his money. What's the stuff for? (laughs) I never have yet seen, and I've been to a lot of funerals and done a lot of funerals, but I never have seen an armored car following a hearse. The nearest I've seen any money going with anybody is when Tiny Boy died, and his stepson put a wad of money in his pocket and put it in the casket. That's that's the only time I've ever actually seen anybody buried with any cash that they couldn't use. And he told me the reason he did that. He said he he wanted him to have money in case where he got where he was going, he needed some. What are the ways that we use money? I'm talking about looking at ourselves personally. What, what way do you use or practice using money as a means to fulfill a mission? Let's look at this man in Luke chapter 12. The scripture said, He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. He thought within himself, what shall I do? I have no room where to bestow my fruit. And he said, I, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll pull down these little barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll put all my fruits and my goods and I'll say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, Thou fool! this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? And so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Out of those stories that were told this morning around coffee and the men's prayer, more than one of them related that after all of that frugalness and pursuit of wealth and becoming millionaires, they died before they spent it. They died. There wasn't all those years they thought they had it laid up for. You see, what Jesus told in the parable is more true than not. Thou knowest not that your soul could be required of you today. Today. In some ways, it's, it's not hard to, to envy this man he must have been quite a businessman he must have been quite a farmer he he must have been pretty smart he he knew how to do his stuff and and i mean he could decide that man i've got it rolling i've i've got all these little sheds out here but what i need to do is just build some really big ones and he built the big ones and got a visitation from god we 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 could envy his business sense. But we would mourn his lack of knowledge of what to do with it. But God said, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Now who's going to get all this stuff? Jesus went on to say, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What what does that mean to be rich toward God? There's a lot of difference when we analyze these two statements. I want to be rich. And I want to be rich towards God. If I am rich or if I become rich, Jesus is the source of all riches. The scripture said in Psalms 24 and 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell therein. He supplies our every need. He endows us with talents, abilities, and resources. All of it out of His goodness. It it becomes a test. It becomes a test in whatever place you are. And you say, oh brother Terry i'm I'm sitting here today, and I'm not blessed. Did you come in a car today? You have clothes on? Do you have another set of clothes at home? You got any money in your purse? You got any money in your wallet? You got a credit card and <laughs> I, I, I know that Millennial generation don't carry cash; they just all the card. You know, we're all headed that way. But we are blessed. We're we're among the small percentage of the world that can answer all those questions. We have a house. We have electricity. We have, you know, we, we go to the hospital. We go to the doctors. We we just have all of these things that we can do. And there's a whole nother world out there. So don't ever say, I'm not blessed. We're spending too much time looking at the grass across the fence. Cows do that, and we all say, that dumb cow. There's a whole 40 acres on that side of the fence, and he's got his neck all the way through that barbed wire trying to eat some grass on the other side. And we do the same thing. Look at my brother. Look at my sister. They got this kind of car. They got this big a house. They got, hello. Why don't you just look up and say, thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so blessed. You have blessed me. I thank you for what you've done for me. Oh, the blessings of God. So so Jesus can make me rich, but his goal is to make me rich towards him. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. I'll put it, uh, I'll let, Brother Paul put that up on the board there in that translation. I'm going to read it in the Amplified or the New English translation. It says, Command those who are rich in this world's goods not to be haughty or to set their hope on riches, which are uncertain, but on God who richly provides us all things for our enjoyment. Notice, He provides us all things. For our enjoyment. And tell them to do good. To be rich in good deeds. To be generous givers. Sharing with others. In this way, they will save up a treasure for themselves. As a firm foundation for the future. And so lay hold of what is truly life. There's a way to enjoy what God has given you. Now, don't be stingy. Don't hold back. The tithe is just 10% of what God gave us. He, gave, he gives us 100% of our wealth. And he said, the tithe belongs to me. And then you have an opportunity to give besides tithe and offering. When the Lord leads us into a season of blessing, He will simultaneously guide us to use our blessings to bless others. I appreciate this church and its generosity toward missions. I appreciate so many of you when we have guest ministers that come, we give them an offering for coming, but many of them will tell me when they walk out and they'll even try to give me the cash back and say a brother came or two or three brothers came and they gave me this money. I just smile with satisfaction and am so thankful that I pastor this kind of church. That you have that kind of heart and you're that kind and that generous. Your fame goes before you. The world knows about you. I'm talking about the, the world of the church world. Because of your generosity, don't let up. Don't give up. I, we are we're approaching a building program, and it will take money, of course, to pay for that, right? We figure there's enough money, and it will be taken care of, but it would be good for us to think about what would we do I just was listening to Brother Macy's church on the YouTube the other night uh, as they gave their report from last year. And they, they said their building note was $316,000 a year. And they said if everybody would just add $15 a month, they could retire the note. Each family, they got about I think hundred and fifty families in the church. I think it was one hundred and fifty, maybe more. But anyway, they I thought that's so wonderful. They they gave sixty three thousand dollars last year to flood relief. They opened their church for since the flood until the end of the year to a school of seven hundred students, the school that was flooded out and couldn't have school public school used their church, 700 students, for, what, five months? I can just imagine the wear and tear of 700 students daily in in a Sunday school department. But what an opportunity to give, to give, to give. What a privilege. And I'm sure it will be a tremendous witness in that city in that community the witness to those 700 students and all those teachers of the kindness of that church that opened its doors and opened its facility and gave. God wants us to change our focus so we can see blessings from a kingdom perspective. To see it From the way that God sees it. There's one thing we all want. Matthew 25 and 21 says it. We want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. So in your own words what what would it mean to be rich toward God For starters it would be the very opposite of what the rich fool was thinking He said I'm going to do for myself We're rich toward God when we give our income and our finances into the things of God. When we're giving in our church offerings, we're donating our funds to God-centered ministries. The rich fool planned to invest his money on himself, and he had no spiritual plans for his money. We are rich toward God when we invest our time and our energy into doing the work and the will of God for our lives. For the edification of others. The rich few fool only plan to retire and to spend the rest of his life eating and drinking and gratifying his fleshly desires instead of growing in his relationship with God. We're rich toward God when we use our earthly riches to show how much we value God. God was not included in the rich man's plans. The word I is mentioned six times by the rich fool. To emphasize the rich fool was conceited that he only thought of himself. We're rich toward God when we realize that Our security is in God and that God himself is our treasure and he is our riches. The rich fool thought that his security for the rest of his years would be found in his business investment. He was wrong. Only God is our security. And without God, we are not rich. No matter how much money we have. Without God, we are poor. I want to be rich toward God. How often do we spend our time thinking about being rich toward God? What would it take? You see, the size of our blessings are immaterial. What matters is how we use our talents and our abilities to invest each blessing in a way that advances the cause of the master. As I have said several times, too much of life is wasted comparing our blessings with the blessings of others. Just remember your season. Remember your season that you're in won't last forever. I read in Isaiah chapter 19 this morning. Isaiah chapter 19 was a a prophecy that Isaiah was given about Egypt. And he talked about how that God would strip Egypt, that he would... Send an enemy in, he would take everything away from them. He would send them basically into a time of famine. But then when you get to the last part of the chapter, he said, In Egypt, you're gonna to turn to me and you're gonna know who I am and I'm gonna bless you. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of the seasons of life. How that they they're brought into a season of of discomfort and lack. God said, when you have come to that place where you recognize that I'm your only help, I'm your only hope, then I'm going to bring you out with blessings. Wherever you are in your journey today, if you're in the famine or you're in the blessing, keep your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus saw a multitude in need. And he was moved with compassion on them. And he turned to his disciples and said, let's feed them. What if the Lord spoke to your Village this morning and said there's 5,000 5, people out here besides the women and children, and we, we need to feed them lunch now? Huh. Have you been to Walmart on a day when they say that there's trouble coming or there's a storm coming or there's a hurricane coming? How long does it take the shelves to get empty? Could you imagine that day there was no Walmart? There was no kosher Jewish delicatessen. (laughs) There was absolutely nothing. Philip thought about it. He he began to imagine it. But then there was a young man that said, "Uh, I got something. He was the wealthiest man in the house. Oh, he just had a little lunch. But you know what? He was willing to share his blessing that a thoughtful mother had prepared for him and got him there with five loaves and two fish. And he was blessed enough to be a blessing. He said, Well, I don't don't know if I can make a difference in the kingdom. Jesus looked at the offering one day and how would you like to have Jesus just standing over the offering? not only just seeing an envelope, but knowing what's in it. And a little woman dropped in two mites, and Jesus said, she gave more than everybody else, because she had nothing left when she gave the two mites. Everett, Edward Everett Hale said, or is credited as saying, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something that I can do. In a slight variation of that same quote, he said, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And what I can do, I ought to do. And what I ought to do, by the grace of God, I shall do. The writer of the Ecclesiastes said, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. For there is no work or, nor vice or device nor knowledge nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. In other words, you're living, do it now. Don't go thinking about doing it. So each season of blessings that we experience is God's way of outfitting us for opportunities to bless him and his work. I think about so many characters of Scripture. There's Nehemiah, that God's so positioned to be in the king's house that he could take that position of influence and be used of God to go and restore the temple. There was Esther who was elevated to the king's house as the queen so that there could be a day of deliverance for the children of Israel. But each one had to be willing to lay everything on the line in order for God to use what He had blessed them with to accomplish what He really wanted that blessing to accomplish. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. If you think being smart is enough, it's not. You see, Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, disobeyed the commands that he knew so well. God said, you not to marry strange women. Don't marry many wives. He broke both commandments. And he found himself worshiping the wives, the gods of the wives that he married who had strange gods in their life. He said, So I was great and increased more than all and that were before me in Jerusalem. And also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from me. I withheld not my heart from any joy For my heart rejoiced with all my labor, and that was all my portion of my labor. Scripture said he had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. You see, you can't be smart enough that you don't need God at the forefront of everything in your life. I think I have one slide at the end there. Brother Paul, just pop that up. I think it says, God always has something for you. A key for every problem, a light for every shadow, and a relief for every sorrow, and a plan for every tomorrow. Let's stand together. The old song said, Showers of blessings, showers of blessings we need, mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead, showers of blessings, anybody need a shower of blessings? Come on, don't be ashamed. Would you like a rain of blessings from God? Why don't you just lift your hands now and say, God, it's been a little famine around here, or it's been a big famine in my life, and I need a rain of the blessings of God. Would you rain down on me, Lord? I'll use it right. I'll do what's right with it, God. Just let it rain, Lord. Let it rain down on me, Lord. There are showers of blessings, promises of love. There will be seasons of refreshings from the Savior above. There will be showers of blessings, precious, reviving again. Over the hills and the valleys, sound of abundance of rain. There shall be showers of blessings sent from God above. Grant us, Lord, that refreshing. Come and honor thy word. There shall be showers of blessings if we but trust and obey. There shall be showers of refreshing if we let God have His way. Understand, the blessings, the promises of God are always contingent on His word, obedience, faith, His will. That's good enough for me. I said, that's good enough for me. Because doing it his way and his time is always right. Let's thank him for his blessings now. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for blessing us, for helping us. I want to thank you also, Lord, for keeping us through the time of famine keeping us through those difficult times, those lonely moments when we we felt like you were a million miles away and all the time you were closer than we could realize. I thank you for that. I thank you for bringing us, Lord, into that time of realization of your presence and touching us with the blessings. I thank you for it all. I thank you for the lessons learned in the famine. And I thank you for the privilege to be a part of your plan. In the blessings. Now go with us from this place. But never from your presence. And always in your will. And everybody said in Jesus name. Amen.